Well, good morning. I just love these Sundays when I don't have to lead the worship. Thank you, Janet and musicians. It was such a joy to be able to just worship right along with you without worrying about is the tempo right, is the volume right, is the drum off. It was just nice to be able to be set free from those cares and concerns and just worship with you today. What a delight. I feel like I've been in the presence of the Lord. I would encourage you to turn in your Bible or the one in the pew rack in front of you to First uh, Timothy chapter 6. It's a passage that we've been looking at repeatedly. Hopefully, this repetition of these words of God to us um, will begin to soak in to our hearts and lives and we'll begin to apply it and obey it. First Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19, if you're using the Pew Bible, you'll find it on page 1154. We're in this series of messages that Ben and I have entitled, How to Be Rich. And we discovered a couple of weeks ago that indeed, based on uh, many different measures, that we, many of us, are rich and we didn't even know it because we don't feel rich. And the reason we don't feel rich for many of us is due to a lack of financial margin in our life. Uh, it is uh, medical doctor Richard Swenson who came up with that term, I think, margin. It's an excellent book. And he talks about the fact that many of us in our relationships, in our time, in our money, and in other resources, that we don't have any margin. There's no give. Everything is just chock full. And so it is for many of us in our financial uh, situations that we have no margin. We Every dollar that comes in is dedicated to a bill that needs to be paid, and there's no margin whatsoever. And that causes then a resulting sense that we don't feel rich. Um, and this series is not a, a how to get rich series, but instead it's a how to be rich. There are a lot of voices who will tell you how to get rich. There even will be some preachers who will tell you how to get rich. If you just sow your seed that the Lord will give that back to you, tenfold, and that's all you have to worry about. This is not one of those messages. This is how, as a Christ follower, do we need to act, live? What sets of values do we need to have? Because, indeed, for most of us, we are rich. Now, we've seen that for most of us, we fall into the top bracket of wage earners. In fact, statistically... Uh, we, 95% of the world's population, would look at us and they would say, Wow, you are rich. Frankly, uh, I need to tell you that if you are earning $1,500, 1500 not 15000 if you are earning $1,500 per year, you are richer than 75% of the world's 6 billion people. Now, I know some high school students who make more than $1,500 a year. 
So they are richer than 75% of 6 billion people in this world. And we in America are so very rich. We represent 6% of the world's population, and yet we consume 40% of the world's resources. Shame on us. 6% of the world's population, but we consume 40%, nearly half of the world's resources. Let me just pause for a moment and go back to that first one. I had somebody ask me after the first uh, sermon, I'd like to know where I fall in richness. Could you tell me where you got your stats? Go to, and I put the, the address there, but the, the uh, color of it is not good. The website is globalrichlist.com. Globalrichlist.com. And you can actually plug in your annual wage in the little box, make sure that you check U.S. dollar and not the U.K. pound or the Japanese yen. But you can check the U.S. dollar, put your amount in there, and it will tell you your ranking in the world's population, where you stand in percentage-wise, you, you in comparison with the rest of the world. It's kind of an interesting little activity. I'm sure that website will be crashing down this afternoon because you're all there. $1,500, more than 75% of the world's 6 billion people. 6% of the world's population, we consume 40% of the world's resources. I own a car. You probably do, too. In fact, with our son Justin in the Dominican Republic this year, we actually have three cars at our place. There's just Kathy and me there. Three cars. Absolutely silly. I got to thinking about that after my first message. Why in the world do we have three cars? And I found out that somebody needed a car. And though I didn't want to give my son's car away, I decided that since he's in the Dominican Republic and with his permission, I would be happy to lend that car to someone else who needed it. And I'm not bragging about the fact that I've done this. It just seemed like a sensible thing to do. After all, it now frees up some space that I can snow blow my driveway open and not have to move cars around all morning. And I don't have to put gasoline in. I'll keep the insurance on it. But, you know, they might, might as well use it. They need it. I know they'll take good care of that resource. And it's blessing them, I hope. And, and I don't have to worry about it until Justin comes home in June. I have a car. You probably do, too. Did you know that only 8% of the people in the world own a car? Only 8%? 8%. That means then that 92% of the world's people would look at you and I driving around in our cars and say, wow, you're rich. Do you have access to clean drinking water? I do. Not only do we have good well water that's treated with salts, Morton salts that I have to pick up at Walmart every couple of weeks to purify and take the rust and the particles and all out, but we have a little doodad in the front of our refrigerator that I don't even have to go to the sink anymore. All I have to do is reach for my glass and I can choose ice cubes or ice crushed or ice pellets or ice with chocolate on top <laughs> and then go for water. I'm rich. I'm rich. Because there are a billion people in the world today who don't have access to clean drinking water. A billion people that can't go to a sink or a refrigerator door to get a glass of clean, pure water to drink. And yet there are 
hundreds of millions of the people in the world who would watch us doing that and think, wow, you are rich. I mean, we've got Brita purifiers now that take up space in our refrigerator and, and, and we buy all these fancy bottled waters which are nothing more than tap water with a label on it. And we're filling up landfills with all of this plastic that, that never deteriorates. We're rich. Have you eaten today? I have. I had a nice breakfast of special K vanilla almond with orange juice and a piece of homemade bread with four berry jam on it. Two cups of coffee. That's why I have to go to the bathroom right now. (laughs) Can I take a break? (laughs) Why did I say that? It's true, but why did I say it? <laughs> there are 800 million people, 800 million people that will not eat today. 300 million of them are children. Not even a crust of bread. And let me ask, how much money do you have on you right now? In your pocket, change, dollars in your wallet or your purse. How much do you have? Did you know that around the world, it is estimated that a billion people in the world live on less than one dollar a day? And now we throw away pennies. Because it's too small for us to deal with. Experts tell us that in order to provide water and basic health and nutrition for everyone in the world, that it would cost somewhere around $20 billion to provide water, basic health care, and nutrition for everyone in the world. $20 billion. And did you know that in the last year, $20 billion is exactly the amount of money that Americans spent on ice cream? We are so rich. But again, most of us don't feel rich. Because we compare ourselves to somebody who has more than we do. And when we get into that comparison game, even though the facts remain in comparison to the rest of the world that we are rich, we don't feel rich. And furthermore, we're bombarded by all of these marketing messages and images of the latest models and the newest styles. It's interesting to me that in the events of this past week in the inauguration, it seemed that more people were interested in what Michelle Obama was wearing than what Barack Obama had to say. We want the latest style, the newest model of automobile. We're told by the media that we need bigger and better and more and that the stuff that we now possess is not good enough 
And we believe we buy into that message. And so we, in the springtime, we do a cleaning out of the attic and the closets and the garage. And we have something called a garage sale. And we lay all of our stuff out on tables with little labels, 50 cents and 75 cents and a dollar. And people come and they try to dicker with us to get that down. And we make 75 or $80 on our junk and we feel good about it. And we take our 75 or our $80. And when our garage sale is closed, we go through the rest of the cul-de-sac and look at everybody else's junk and see what we can buy. We have a penchant for accumulation. More and more and more is our motto. But to the rest of the world, our lives are the commercial. To the rest of the world, our lives are the catalog. What isn't good enough for us would be perfectly suited for the rest of the world. And we would have to admit today that we are indeed rich. Could I get an amen in the house? So now that you agree, given this fact that we are rich, how then are we to be rich? How do we act? How do we move our values forward? As one who is rich, what are we to do? Well, the Apostle Paul gives some really timely and important advice to his son in the faith, Timothy, and to us. And he says to Timothy, look, Timothy, when you're out there planting these new churches, when you're speaking to rich people, and obviously there were rich people in these congregations uh, that Timothy was planting, he said, when you speak to rich people, say this. Command them. Don't suggest it, but command them that in this present world, those who are rich, they are not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth. Ben helped us with that last week, that we, uh, that one of the seducive traps of riches is that it tends to cause us to become prideful and arrogant because we somehow think that we are the ones who have produced this wealth. That it's the, our intellect and our hands that have produced this wealth. And we must get this perfectly straight in our minds and hearts. That everything that we have is a gift from God. And it's been given to us as a trust. And we are to exercise it wisely. Our stewardship and trusteeship over these material blessings that God has poured out on us. Because someday God is going to give, is going to demand an account from each of us as Christ followers, what we've done with these things and how to steward them and leverage them for the kingdom. But rather than seeing things as a gift from God, the tendency in many people's minds is to put their trust in riches. But Paul says, command those who are rich in this present world not to put their trust in wealth, but to put their hope in God. Because if you put your trust in wealth, there's a good chance a very, very good chance that you'll become proud or arrogant. As the great Genevan reformer John Calvin says, prosperity inebriates man so that they take delights in their own merits. 
Don't trust in your riches because it leads to arrogance and pride. But today in verse 18, Paul continues with this and he says, Command them not only to not be arrogant or proud and to put their hope in wealth, but he says, Command them to do good. To do good. Not to be good, but to do good. Or to do good in the sense that the average person is to do good, but tell the rich people that they are to do good in a way that a rich person, in only a way that a rich person can do. So what Paul is saying here is that this isn't average good, this is rich people good. Paul says, you rich people are to do good. That's one word in the Greek. Agathergeo. It means to do that which at the core, intrinsically, essentially, qualitatively is good. It's good to the core. And that's what rich people are supposed to do. To do good. Do good things with your riches. Really good things. Not superficially good things. Not shallowly good things. Not pretty things on the outside. But as followers of Christ, you and I as rich people are called to take our money, to take our resources, to take our time and do things. Not think about them or consider them, but to do things that are inherently noble, good, valuable, and honoring to God. Take your resources and use them to do good. You are to be rich, says Paul. You are to be rich in what? Good deeds. This is huge. It's absolutely huge. Paul says, tell these rich people that they are to leverage the extra, the extra that they have. Leverage that extra to do good for the benefit of others. Leverage the extra to do good for the benefit of others. That's what Paul is saying. Now, let me tell you, it is so very important that we listen to this word and we find a way to obey it. Because, as I said a moment ago, there will, become a, there will come a reckoning day. Let me tell you something in case you've forgotten it. That your money will not follow you to heaven. But there are some things that will follow you to heaven. Revelation speaks of those things, Revelation 14, 13. Their deeds, their works will follow them. Now, I know that, that we in evangelical circles, we bristle a little bit about this idea of good works and good deeds because we're, we're saved by grace. And we'll leave it to those people over there to do the good works. We'll leave the mainliners to do the social justice. We'll, we'll let the Methodists and the Presbyterians and the Roman Catholics, we'll let them do the good works. After all, we have an obligation to preach grace. Oh, how quickly we forget. That because of this wonderful gift of grace, yes, we are saved by grace, but because of this wonderful gift of grace, we have been blessed. We are rich. 
And we are not blessed to bless ourselves, but instead the Scripture teaches us that we are blessed to be a blessing. We are to do good works. It doesn't earn our salvation. Our salvation is by grace. But once we have been rescued from the pit of hell and sin, then we are obligated, we are commanded to do good works, to be rich in good deeds. Because our deeds will follow us right to the judgment throne. In case you've forgotten, you leave your money here. There are no pockets in your shroud and there are no U-Hauls behind your hearse. You leave your money here for your kids to squabble over how much they're going to get. But you take your spiritual good deeds with you. And to those who have been faithful, the Bible promises us that someday in that reckoning day, that God will look on the faithful stewards and He will say these wonderful words that I want to hear. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. Now I will put you in charge of many. You see, my dear friends, we have an obligation to live, to give, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous, and to share. And we need to, as the movie of several years ago by the same name, we need to pay it forward. We need to lay our treasure up in heaven, as it said in Matthew 6 in our Scripture reading today, where moth and rust do not corrupt, where the thieves do not break in and steal. We are rich and we have an obligation to steward these riches for the glory of God and leverage them for not our own sake, but for the sake of others. Now, because I know some of you bristle a bit at the idea of me pounding the pulpit about money, let me not concentrate on money for a moment and let me talk about how we are rich in time. Because rich people have a lot of time. Uh, Most of you, if you are still employed, most of you have extra time every week. Most of you are off Saturdays and Sundays. That's not true of me. I work on Sundays. It's the only day I work, but I work on Sundays. Most of you have extra time, two days a week. Have you ever thought to yourself, I wonder what I could do to, to intentionally leverage this extra time that I'm given every week, two out of seven, Not for my own sake, but for the benefit of others. How could I take those two days and invest them to pay it forward and to do a work that that will bless others' lives? Most of you, if you're employed, you have fringe benefit that includes something that we call vacation. One week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, six weeks. Some contracts, I remember back when I was a teenager, U.S. Steel contracts and others, every once in a while they would get 12 weeks off every year. Rich people have extra time. 
Some people don't even know what to do with that extra time. They bicker in their family, how are we going to spend this extra time? The interesting thing is that even though we have extra time, statistically speaking, we use very little of that time for the sake of others. The reason for this is simple, that rich people have too many options. And when you're rich, you have lots of options and ways that you can use your extra time. And so every weekend when you have extra time, Saturday and Sunday, you think of ways of entertaining yourself or bringing pleasure to yourself. How am I going to use this extra time for myself? So we go to the movies or we go skiing at the peak or when there's an extra day or week, we use up our vacation points at our timeshare in the sunny south or we use our bonus flyer miles to go to some exotic place to sit on the beach and and drink a, a colada and soak up the rays or we go to Europe and see the beautiful sights and eat the delicious food or we go camping in our RV and get eaten up by mosquitoes or we go snowboarding in Vail, Colorado. When there's an extra week, we sit down and ask ourselves the question, how in the world can I fill up this extra time that I have for myself in a way that I would enjoy? How can I fill up one week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, five weeks doing something that would bring me pleasure? So consequently, because we spend so much time on ourselves, having a relaxing time, there's no time, or so we think, there's no time to serve others, to be rich in good deeds. I don't have the time, we complain. Me? Serving the nursery? Oh, no, my schedule's much too busy. Me? Usher in a service that I'm going to attend anyways? Oh, no, I couldn't do that. My schedule's packed. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't take time for ourselves to rest and relax and restore. Neither am I saying that we, we don't take time to do some good in the world. No, we're willing to volunteer to sing in the choir or to, to work in the nursery or participate in the food drive or to serve in the PTA or you fill in the blank. We'll do good deeds. But we'll fall short of being rich in good deeds. Because we want to reserve enough of this extra time for me. It's me, me, me. This got a bit convicting to me as I was preparing this message. I've been in the Christian Missionary Alliance now 25 years, and our vacation time is based on your years of service in the Alliance. So I now have, because I've been 25 years, a quarter of a century of service, I now have five weeks of vacation every year. Because I'm an employee here at First Alliance, in addition to the five weeks of vacation that I get every year, I, I get two personal days and a floating holidays and unlimited sick days. And if I wake up with a slight headache, I can just call in and say, I have a slight headache. I got a sore throat. Nobody asks a question. I've got a lot of extra time. And this year, 2009, I've got a lot of extra time. Because this is my sabbatical year. So in addition to all of those vacation days and floating holidays and special holidays and 10 holidays, which are part of the fringe benefit Thanksgiving Day after Thanksgiving, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, on and on, New Year's Day, you know, 10 of them. Most of you get 10 or more. 
In addition to all those, this year I have six additional weeks of sabbatical time. And the personnel team of our church recently discovered that I missed a sabbatical. I don't know how that happened, but I missed a sabbatical. So now I have two six-week periods of sabbatical time. I could pretty much check out tomorrow and not come back till the end of the year. (laughs) I'm not going to do that, but there's a temptation to. (laughs) But as I was thinking about this, so Crocker, how are you going to use all this extra time? Yeah, there's a need for me to rest and relax and restore. There's a need for me to spend time and reconnect with my family. But how am I going to take all of this extra time and and be intentional about it and leverage it for the sake of others so that I can qualify for being rich in good deeds? Well, if that isn't convicting enough, Paul goes on then and he says, but... Command these rich people also to be generous and to share. I mean, oh yeah, I know. When the United Way campaign is on at work, you sign up just to save face and you give. And when the plate has passed, you don't want the person next to you to think that you're not supporting the church. So you reach into your pocket and you throw a couple bucks in the plate. Is that generous? Paul says, tell these rich people to be generous and willing to share. I don't want you to be average, says Paul. I want you to be extraordinary. I want you to be above average. I want you to be beyond the norm. I want you to be generous and to share. The interesting thing is that every study shows it, that the richer a person becomes, the less they give. You'd think that the more you had, the more you'd be willing to give, but... The opposite is true. The more you have, the less you're willing to give. Why is that? Well, I think it's this, because it's easy to give $1 out of 10. What can you do with a dollar? It's, it's easy to give $10 out of 100. What can you do with $10? But what about when you have to give $10,000 out of $100,000 off the top? Are you kidding me? Get serious, Crocker. You mean 10% off the top gross wages? Get serious. It's hard. But God says, if you're going to be a Christ follower, you can't be average. You've got to be rich in good deeds. You've got to be rich in generosity. You've got to be rich in sharing. This is tough stuff. It's tough for me. I mean, don't you love coming to church and get, it, get beaten up by the pastor? This is uncomfortable stuff. Is this why Jesus said, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven? Because rich people don't want to let go. But I think that in order to succeed in this, to fulfill this command here in 1 Timothy, to be rich in good deeds, to be obedient to the call of Christ, to be generous and to share, we must make a conscious decision. That is to say, we must pre-decide what we're going to do with our extra money and our extra time. We dare not leave it up to chance or spontaneity. And if you leave it up to chance, there's a good chance that you'll not do it 
and you'll end up giving God the leftovers. How do you feel about leftovers? I hate them with a passion. We have something in our house. I try to find a reason not to come home on those nights. It's called jerk night. What are we having for supper? Jerk night. Jerk night is you reach to the back of the refrigerator and you jerk it to the front. And you, if you dare and are courageous enough, you lift the lid or you lift the saran and you look inside and lo and behold, there's some leftover peas. Or lo and behold, some rice that we had two weeks ago. Or lo and behold, some lunch meat. And my wife on jerk night, I always watch her very closely. Because occasionally she'll reach down into the luncheon meat and she'll take it out of the the saran bag that is so neatly zipped up by the deli counter and she'll pull out a piece of that luncheon meat and she'll pull it out and she'll smell it. And then she'll taste it. And then she'll put it on my plate. Now you know why I don't like leftovers. How do you think God feels about leftovers? And that's exactly what many of us give Him. Because we fail to pre-decide. We fail to make a determination. We fail to to set our will and say, I'm going to be an obedient follower of Christ. And I'm going to give of my resources, not the leftovers, the scraps, the bits and pieces, but I'm going to give the first fruits to God. Learn to be generous and to share. So, the question is, how do we do this with our time and our money? How do we leverage our extra time? I had a challenge from someone in our congregation this week. I met with him about another matter, and he said, by all means, Rick, please make this actionable. Help us to understand what we can do. So here's the actionable part of this message. What can you do with your extra time? Well, I'd like to suggest this, that if you've got three weeks vacation, you pre-decide that you're going to use two of those weeks for yourself or for your family to rest, restore, relax, connect with your family, all that you need to do. And you take one of those weeks and you use it for the benefit of others. Or if you have five I don't know, how many long weekends do we have in a year now? I I sat thinking we've got Martin Luther King Day, which was just passed, and we've got President's Day in February. It seems like we've got one in every month now. We've got Memorial Day and Fourth of July and Labor Day and Columbus Day and National Potato Week and all the rest. What if you were to take all but one of those long weekends and use all of those long weekends for yourself, but the one long weekend this year, you pre-decide right now, I'm going to take that long weekend 
And instead of using that for myself, doing gardening around the house or, or uh, catching up with the family, I'm going to take that one long weekend and I'm going to devote that long weekend, Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, I'm going to devote that to some good work for the sake of others. Now, I had somebody come to me at the door this morning and offered a critique of my message. And I appreciated it so very much. Because she was right on. When I'm talking about being rich in good deeds, I'm not just talking about giving service to the church, though I think that's included in it. I think it includes things like serving on your PTA, things like uh, working in an after-school tutoring program for inner-city kids. I think for some of you it might be, you, being rich in good deeds might include being an employer who provides work for other people. For some of you, being rich in good deeds may, may happen right in the context of your own family. You may not even have to go out of your, your own four walls to be rich in good deeds. You may find a place there to be rich in good deeds as you minister to your family. There are so many opportunities to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and to share. You could take one of your vacation weeks and go to the Dominican Republic or to, to Poland or to Mexico, as Christine and her daughter are doing this week, and take that vacation week and say, I'm not going to use it for myself, but I'm going to use it for the sake of others. You, you could take uh, that vacation week and, and call the church office and say, I'm dedicating this whole week. I'll do anything you want me to do this week. Now, after you peel the pastor up off of the floor, <laughs> I'm sure that we can find some work that you could do that would be valuable and necessary and give you an opportunity to be rich in good deeds. And let me tell you what will happen if you do this. If you pick a worthy organization or a worthy person and you invest in that group or organization and you do it systematically and you predecide over and over and over again, you know what will happen? You'll leave a piece of your heart there. And after a while, after doing that long enough, it won't be an obligation anymore. You'll want to go back there. You'll want to be a part of that, of serving that meal to the inner city homeless person. You'll want to be a part of that abstinence training program at the Women's Care Center. You'll want to be a part of that after-school tutoring program where you read a book to a, a fifth grader who doesn't yet know how to read. You'll want to be a part of, of the ministry that, that goes down to the lodge and serves a meal to, to people who are hungry and homeless. You'll want because... When you do it and you predecide and you do it systematically, you leave a part of your heart there. It's biblical because Jesus says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. I beg you to try it. And as you do, as you serve at the city mission or the women's care center or WCTL or the local prison or volunteer as a tutor or go to on a short-term missions trip and you strategically commit your time and your energy and your resources in a particular direction, when you do that, the yoke of selfishness will be broken in your heart and you will become rich in good deeds and generosity. And once you are liberated from the magnet of materialism and pride is no longer an issue, and once your hope is set on God and not on money, there is only one thing that can happen. Your time and money will begin to flow 
freely, freely, you won't be stingy with it anymore. You will say, I want to try to outgive God, and you'll become like R.G. Letourneau, who didn't give 10% of his income to the Lord, but instead gave 90% of his income to the Lord and lived on 10. And you will be tripping all over yourself trying to find ways that you can be rich in good deeds and generosity. And the hungry will be fed and the sick will be healed and the ignorant will be taught and frontier peoples will be evangelized for Christ. And instead of getting leftovers, you will be giving your very best. Pick a percentage of your income. Pre-decide it. Stop being so random and lacking in intentionality when it comes to your giving. Be a percentage giver. 10%, 15%, 20%. Consider that. Pre-decide. That amount is already gone. It's already committed. Take it off the top of your annual income and strategically pre-decide that that extra amount is going to be leveraged for the sake of others. Make a commitment to predecide to give to your local church and invest in the work of ministry in this place, to invest in the work of calling lost people to be one to Christ so that new believers can be discipled in their walk of faith. Predecide that you're going to invest in young women uh, and in their lives and helping young women choose life rather than choosing an abortion. Predecide, predecide these things. And when you do, Guess what? Your heart follows. I like what Randy Alcorn says about this. He says, as thunder follows lightning, giving follows grace. When God's grace touches you, you can't help but respond, but with generous giving. So let's decide here and now. We're going to have done with ordinary living. We're not going to be average anymore. But we're going to go beyond the norm. We're going to be rich in good deeds because indeed we are rich. Can you imagine how the perception of Christianity might be different if Christians, instead of being stingy, if we would outserve and outgive everybody else in the culture? Paul says, be rich in a way that honors God and honors his agenda for the world. Take advantage of the strategic opportunity that you have as a rich person in leveraging your resources for the sake of Christ. Be rich in good deeds. Be generous and share. And so because this is the last time I will preach in this series, Ben will wrap it up next week. I thought, well, what? how can I get this, distill it down to a sentence that you can take home and live by? So here's the sentence. Since I have more, I should do more, and I should give more. Since I have more, I should do more, and I should give more. Because I'm not putting my trust in riches. But instead, I'm paying it forward. I'm investing in eternity. I'm investing in the surest investment that there is. Kathy and I have been reluctant to, to open our retirement uh, accounts. We've had envelopes coming in for months, and we just finally got up the courage this last week to open them up to see the dismal news. But I'm telling you what. As followers of Christ, you and I have the opportunity to invest in a fund that pays eternal dividends 
And the person in charge of this investment fund is not Bernie Madoff. But the person in charge of this fund is the living God. It's a sure bet. So, take the blue sheet out of your bulletin. It looks like this. Rising up to the challenge of my friend for actionable steps. I've come up with a list of some lifestyle adjustments for your consideration. As my administrative assistant, Ruth Snyder, typed these out for me this week, she uh, honed in on the number three there, the third bullet. And she said, that was my mother's motto. Use it up, wear it out, make it do or do without. I was convicted yesterday morning about that. Uh, We always have a big breakfast on Saturdays. We had pancakes yesterday. Delicious, fluffy, yummy, maple syrup, butter oozing off the edges. Now oozing through my veins. When we were done and Kathy was writing up the table, uh, there was just a wee bit of maple syrup left in the bottom of the bottle. And she picked it up and she kind of tipped it this way. And I said, instinctively, I said, just throw it out. And she looked at me with a maternal look. Put it in the pantry, dear. We'll use it next time. My wife is, is a frugal sort. She takes all the bits of soap and she scrunches them all together. My inclination would be to get a new bar of soap. But she refuses until all the bits are used. Use it up. Wear it out. Make it do or do without. I think that if we put our creative energies to this, that we might be surprised by the amount of extra stuff, extra time, extra resources, extra money that we have that we don't need and that we could leverage for the use of the kingdom and for the benefit of others. And would it not be a joy on that crowning day to stand before God And know that we've been faithful and obedient in all of this. To be rich in good deeds. To be generous and share with all. May God help us to that end. Let's pray. Lord, we have been given so much and... I readily acknowledge, and I trust others will join me in that acknowledgement, that all of these good gifts come from your loving and gracious hand. Forgive us, Lord, when we clutch tightly to the things of this earth. And I pray that you will pry open our hands and our hearts, that we might liberally and generously give, not only to the work of Christ, but for the sake of others. We thank you, Lord, for the hundreds of people in this church who already understand this, this 
This is old hat for them. They know what it means to be rich in good deeds. Thank you for the hundreds of thousands of dollars that members of this congregation have, have given uh, that have enabled missionaries on the field to do the work of evangelizing the lost. Thank you, Lord, for the individuals who already have caught the vision of giving a week of their time in a short-term missions project, for volunteers who take one of their days off and come and volunteer in a ministry here at the church. Help us, Lord, to be different. Help us to believe that you've called us together as a community of believing people to care about each other, to supply needs, to meet needs, and to pay it forward. And I pray, Lord, that there might be a revival of service and generosity in our midst and that a spirit of selflessness would pervade our lifestyles so that we might be able to take hold of the life that is truly life. And that you would thereby teach us how to be rich. We pray in Jesus' name.